I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hi, welcome to today's episode. I'm Sridhar Krishna, and I have my a partner in crime, Arushi Kataria, with me as well today. Hello, Arushi. How are you? I'm doing well, Sridhar. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So you know, there are 400 million people employed in India, and we've been talking about creating 20 million new jobs every year in India, right? So because we say that India has over 18 million people who turn 18 every year. and we have 100 million people more in agriculture than is required so unless we create 20 million jobs annually we are in deep trouble so that's something that we've been saying repeatedly for the past few months as part of this program that we are we are on and um, but this also when you look at the numbers so there are 400 million people approximately who are employed in india so if you want to create 20 million new jobs that means employment needs to grow at about 5% per annum and that means we need to grow gdp at over 10% maybe 11% per annum and employment elasticity needs to be over 0.4 so while gdp has been growing at about 7% per annum over the last three decades employment elasticity has drastically fallen to less than 0.1 from 0.4 that it was in the 90s so this has led to a largely jobless growth and that's really what we want to talk about today that is about employment elasticity about jobless growth and all that so so arushi do you want to tell us as a student of economics what is employment elasticity so i think the first thing to understand is what is elasticity so the most basic way to understand it would be say demand elasticity which is the change in demand due to a percentage change in price so now if we had to compare that concept and bring it down to employment elasticity it would be the change in employment due to a 1% change in the gdp and why this is important is because when we're talking about things like job creation we're saying that if you have this much gdp growth your job should grow at this much but the question on ground is is this really happening and employment elasticity helps us measure that that in case india grew at a gdp of about 10% at what pace did our jobs really grow over the years and i think that is why thinking about employment elasticity is very important because right now as you just mentioned india has been facing jobless growth where we've had about an average growth of 7% over the last 30 years but our jobs haven't been growing at that rate and it's important to understand what might be the reasons for all of this and to further break it down employment elasticity is also not the same across all sectors of the economy when we look at it you have sectors like agriculture which have a negative employment elasticity and that is for the fact that as incomes increase people start moving out of agriculture and into tertiary sectors or a sector which has a very high employment elasticity of over 1 would be something like construction utilities and i think a way to think about this is that when income increases the government invests into the economy and a lot of this investment goes into the form of construction and utility building and that's where the jobs are going so i think one thing to keep in mind is that our job growth does not always keep pace with our gdp growth and that 
the effect of this GDP growth is not the same in all sectors of the economy. Yeah, that's very interesting that you say, right? So basically, sectors like construction have a high employment elasticity, while sectors like manufacturing and agriculture have had declining employment elasticity in, uh, over, over time. In fact, agriculture has a negative employment elasticity, while manufacturing has been dropping quite significantly over time. And, and I, I've been thinking about why this might be the case, right? So why did employment elasticity in India come down over time, right? So once liberalization happened, it opened the economy and unshackled industry towards growth, which was great. Because like you said, if there isn't growth, then you don't have money available for investments in infrastructure. You don't have money available to even provide some basic relief to poor people. So you can't allocate money towards education, towards health, etc. Unless there is growth, all these things cannot happen. So liberalization opened the economy and unshackled industry towards growth, as I mentioned. But this was also accompanied by public sector exiting various uh, industries. Traditional monopolies were unseated and there was a and new competition came into play. But all this meant that needed to be increase in productivity and competitiveness for the Indian companies to survive. But it came at a price. So the companies which managed to do that well survived and grew, but those who didn't failed. But it came at a price. The price is that as the companies became more competitive, they through improved use of technology and overall productivity, it also meant that every time if they grew by 10%, they did not have to increase their headcount by 10%, right? So it was not linear growth. They, need, they were able to grow with like, you know, much lower, with a smaller headcount. They could increase their overall throughput. Then there was also this issue that, you know, industries which have a lower employment elasticity will grow because of skill gaps that existed in the market. See, if you look at, there are some industries which require you to have a lot of skill and like ability to work with new technology and so on. So these kind of jobs could very well be available for Indians to use. But the problem is that if there are these skill gaps, that means industries that have a lower employment elasticity will grow, while those which require a linear growth in number of people may struggle to grow because they have a scarcity of people. So those industries won't grow. So all this led to lowering of employment growth, this use of technology, opening up to competition, and skill gaps have all led to a lowering of employment growth. And um, the other thing that happened, so now there were many jobs in agriculture which were like, you know, really low-end, unskilled jobs, which a lot of, by for historical reasons, etc., women were able to do them. Now with technology coming in, the jobs that have got replaced largely have been of those of unskilled women. So those jobs have just been replaced by technology because they can do the work much better, they can do it faster and so on. And this has also led to a further lowering of women's labor force participation rate in India. I think we talked about women's labor force participation rate a while ago and we talked about how like, you know, labor force participation rate in India for women is lower than even Afghanistan for a variety of reasons. And something like this is opening up of the competition use of technology has further pushed women back. And that's what's happening. So what do you think we can do to increase employment elasticity? How is it in other countries? I mean, we talked about India's employment elasticity being less than 0.1, maybe even closer to points, 0.087. Yeah. Right? And 
So what is it in other countries? Is it like, you know, much higher in other countries or all other countries struggling the same way we are? So I have a breakup by continent because it's very difficult to find data for specific countries. But both Europe and America, which are considered to be developed economies, so to speak, have employment elasticities of over 0.5, which is a number higher than India had even when we were at our highest employment elasticity of 0.4. And this is important because these are countries that have been growing, that have been investing in their economies, that have seen phenomenal growth over the last few years. And while their growth has slowed down right now, their employment elasticity still remains high. And this is despite the fact that wages have gone stagnant, that not a new Not a lot of new jobs are being created, but there is still high employment elasticity, which tells us that even though there is some amount of stagnancy that is right now, to begin with, they had very high employment elasticity. And even when we look at Asia in general, India's numbers are some of the lowest. So between 2009 and 2017, the average in Asia was about 0.67. And India is at, as you said, 0.08, which is a cause for concern. Even in countries in Africa, we see much higher employment elasticities of about 0.4 almost, which was India's highest number. So I think the question then, as you ask, is how do we increase this employment elasticity in India? I think this goes back to a lot of the ideas that we've been discussing, that even when we thought of the ideas that could create these 20 million jobs, we widely divided them into two categories, those jobs that would create GDP growth and those that would generate employment elasticity. Yeah, and let's come back more on that after a short break. Okay, Arushi, you were talking about what can be done to increase employment elasticity. You talked about how employment elasticity is very low in India and it's lower than most other countries. We talked about how India, through liberalization and uh, use of technology, opening up to competition, and because of the skill gaps, has sort of led to a lowering of employment growth. What do you think we should do? I mean, it was just beginning to talk about some of the things that we could do as a country to increase employment elasticity. What are those? So I think the first thing would be to go back to this whole idea of investing in sectors that have very high employment elasticities. And for India, those sectors are constructions and utilities. So now the idea, one of the big ideas that we had was that government should increase investment. It should increase its expenditure on, you know, projects that involve large scale construction. And this is important because when the government is now going to put money into the economy, you're going to have one create jobs in the construction sector, which is going to, on average, increase the employment elasticity of the economy, especially if there's large-scale employment in this industry. And secondly, pumping investment into the economy is a virtuous cycle. The minute you put money into the economy, you're creating more jobs, and these jobs then end up can end up creating further more jobs. The yeah, and especially thing, investment in infrastructure, right? I mean, if you're investing in infrastructure, it is a great enabler of uh, investment and economic growth in other in in all other sectors so i think that's very critical and i like the point that you made about the government investing in infrastructure more aggressively what else do you think we should do i think something that we should also remember is that when we look at you know statistics for you know employment elasticities in countries we notice that the employment elasticity for women is always lower than the average that is existing 
So for instance, across in Asia, while our average was around 0.67, for females, it was around 0.57, which is about a 0.1 shortage in employment elasticity, so to speak. So I think mm. one thing that can be done is that we enable preferential credit to rural women. Um, and this provides them with more jobs. And I think as a part of our conversation on women's labor force participation, we spoke about how a study had come out that said that when women are becoming entrepreneurs, they tend to generate more jobs than their male counterparts. So able to, one, in a way, also take the jobs to where women are by providing them with this credit. And we're enabling them to become entrepreneurs, which not just employs them, but also more people. We are creating more jobs. And one must also always remember that in rural areas, women are going to be more comfortable working with other women. So if you're able to have a woman boss in power, we might just be able to get more people into the workforce, which is something that we've been struggling with in the rural areas, especially despite women being educated at higher numbers in the recent years. It's still not translating into them entering the workforce. Yeah, I think there are also some structural factors, right? I mean, I was listening to a podcast by a couple of people, I think Alice Evans and Shruti Rajkopa, where they were talking about how Bangladesh was able to generate large number of jobs for women because they promoted manufacturing, large-scale manufacturing in a big way. So if you have like large factories, I think like those are places where women feel safe, right? If there are large factories which employ a large number of women, a fairly large, a good, it's not like, you know, there are 100 men and like five women in a factory. It's one of those places which employs large number or majority of the employees are women. In such kind of places is where like women feel safe to uh, go to and work out of. And uh, feel confident to sort of stay at those jobs. And uh, those those companies also tend to be much more sensitive towards the needs of women because they have a large number of women working for them. I think things like that, I think like, you know, what can we do to promote large-scale manufacture? The whole idea in India, I think this current government has been talking about make in India as a big one. So what are we really, what can we really do in order to make in India? And I think manufacturing is a great space where like, you know, people can be employed and if we can like, you know, create jobs for people by encouraging manufacturing, that would be great too. So what else? So we talk about, but I think there's another, there are a couple of other areas that I've been thinking of, which um, might also be interesting. So for instance, gig jobs are very high employment elasticity. So if you want to, because these are, these are, these require some, uh, you, you need, like if Uber wants to grow, they need to increase the number of drivers, right? If if uh, Swiggy wants to grow, they need to increase the number of delivery agents. And that will in turn lead to like number of people who are cooking at all these restaurants also having to increase in number. So I think it's got a fairly high employment elasticity. So I think gig jobs by their very nature have high employment elasticity. And I think promote growth in sectors like gigs so how can you do that? I mean, I don't think the gig economy actually wants the government to go out and do much. They just want the government not to put brakes on those on that economy and to not um, make it hard for them to to grow. So if they don't if they don't add friction to that industry, I think that's good enough. So I think gigs are a are, are a big one. Then the other thing that people have been talking about for a long time, and I think. Uh, if we are having low employment elasticity today, even before the 
large scale deployment of artificial intelligence, then can you imagine what might happen if artificial intelligence is used more uh, effectively and significantly and it becomes more ubiquitous? Then what happens? And I've thought about that and I said, you know what, artificial intelligence, all this change, you can keep fighting change, you can ward it off for a little while, but it's like a tsunami. You can't like, you know, just shut the door and hope that the waves will go away, right? It's not going to happen. So the thing is that they are going to, AI is going to come in and it is going to disrupt. So what should we do? We should understand what are the types of jobs that AI will disrupt. We have to like, you know, make sure that we are at the forefront of that change and we lead it. So we should lead the disruption and we should create jobs in AI and allow AI to, rather than just allowing AI to only eliminate jobs and we be at the receiving end of all this, right? So I think that's the whole thing that we should do. So we should promote AI and we should lead the disruption. That's my view on, on, on that. What are your thoughts, Arushi? What do you think of AI? Do you think it'll lead to jobs or less jobs? So I think you're absolutely right that the only way to probably ride out this, you know, inevitable wave is to get ahead of it. So there is no point in us saying that, oh, we're going to completely block ourselves from AI and not let AI take over any jobs simply because of just how many people India has. Because that is not possible and that doesn't even align with the incentives for companies. Now, we have to understand that for companies, adopting technology saves them money. So if we aren't going, if we're going to tell them that you can't invest in this kind of technology that is going to save you money, we aren't really inducing them to even stay in India. So whatever jobs there might be, that those might just vanish overnight as well. Mm-hmm. So I think a better way to go about it is, is that you ensure that the jobs that require labor don't go to AI, at least to begin with. In sectors that require high technology, high skills, you allow AI to take over, especially when we know that India might have a shortage of labor with those kind of skills. So we're not really mm-hmm. taking away the jobs from somebody who could have had them. We know for a fact that in some sectors, we lack the kind of labor supply that we need to meet the demand. And in those sectors, AI can come in. But in other I don't sectors- think we can... So, Anushya, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think, I mean, on one side, one hand, you were talking about supporting, promoting AI and allowing it to sort of come in and, and disrupt. You can't then pick and choose what it will disrupt, Right. So you can't come and say, okay, I think in India, we've got skills in um, in doing website development. So therefore, I don't want AI to come into this space, but we don't have skills in like, you know, building some medical equipment. So let's let's use AI there. I don't think it works that way. So finally, AI will work where it will work and where the, where it is found to be effective, it will get deployed and where the benefits Uh, that can accrue from this are significant, it will be successful. And um, so I think we have to allow the market to see what it is. And I think we should predict, see what the market does. And you should be able to adapt to the market. I don't think we can try and like control the market, but I think we should try constantly to be aware of the changes that the market is bringing. And um, like you said, get ahead of the wave. Like, Look out for the wave and get ahead of the wave. I think that's that's really what we have to do. And um, see, at the turn of the 20th century, automobiles came into being. They removed all the need for 
chariot makers, right? But then the large, the number of jobs that got created in automobile industry was so huge. And that's led to a fantastic industrial revolution, uh, second industrial revolution across the globe, if you will. So I think we shouldn't be afraid of change. We should embrace the change and, um, and, and try to take advantage of, of all the new technology that's, that's coming in. So let's go back to this whole employment elasticity piece, right? I think it's critical. So India needs to grow at 10, 11% per annum. So that growth is important. I was also reading a little while back about how in the 70s, for instance, uh, employment elasticity was fairly high. It was like, you know, even higher than 0.4. It was, I think it had gone up to some 0.6 and all. Even though we used to grow it at that time about 3.8% per annum, because of this very high uh, employment elasticity, there was growth in jobs to the extent of 2% per annum with growth in employment. While today we grow at like, you know, 7 8% per annum and like, you know, growth in employment is less than 1% per annum. So should we go back to those old days when we were growing at like some 3.5% and 4% and focus instead and then keep block technology and like, you know, sort of suggest that we go back to our rural roots and like become self-reliant, et cetera. Do you think that will, that is, uh, that's something we ought to do? Why, why don't you think, uh, do, do you think like that would be a good idea? So, I mean, as a student of economics, I would say I completely disagree with that idea. Um, and that's to go back to almost every single macroeconomic model that we're taught, mm-hmm. which says that to have economic growth, you need technology. So, what mm-hmm. we're saying is that if you want to go back to our rural roots, we're not just not having technological growth, but rather going back to our rural roots would involve a negative technological growth. And mm-hmm. I don't think we're in a position to afford that, especially given other factors that relate to our economic yeah, growth. But think about this, right? I think I told you that like we were having employment growth at 2% in the 70s, while now we have less than 1% growth in employment. So... Why is today better than the 70s? I think for that, we'd have to look at some demographic factors. Like, you know, what is the poverty rates that we had in the 1970s versus what are the poverty rates that we have now? Have our malnourishment rates reduced? And I think that's where this lies, right? That between the 1950s and the 1970s was the first time that after negative economic growth under the British, we were seeing positive economic growth. And while that was around 3.5%, if I'm not wrong, our economic growth, we were creating jobs. But India did not have the kind of income that we do today. Over the years, our income has grown. And now going back to, you know, talking in the language of uh, Bhagwati and Panagriya, this economic growth has given us the kind of money that we need to invest in welfare schemes for our people. It's allowed us to invest in schemes like Narega, like Right to Education, It's allowed us to invest in the midday meal program that is improving nutrition. It's allowed us to channel a lot more money into the PDS system. And that's what we need to understand, that for developing economies, economic growth is not merely about creating jobs. For developing economies, economic growth is essential for lifting people out of poverty. In a country like India, where so many of our people, by absolute numbers, live under or below the poverty line, it's more important than ever for us to focus on economic growth for the fact that without this economic growth, they probably not get out of poverty. 
because they wouldn't have the schemes that could support it. Correct. I mean, because like there's only so much one can really do to increase employment elasticity. And we can't take decisions to increase employment elasticity if it's going to interfere with GDP growth, right? So I think GDP growth should continue to get priority. At the same time, I think by doing things like investing in infrastructure, utilities, preferential credit to rural women, promoting AI, riding the AI wave, those kind of things, and like, you know, generally making India a better place to do business in and and to work out of can um, can help us to generate those jobs that we're all so keenly seeking. So, so thank you very much. That was a great conversation. And I, I mean, I was just kidding when I said we should stop stop economic growth and go back to the seventies. I don't think the seventies were a great era for India, and and it's not a time that India should be proud of. But nevertheless, I think it's important to drive economic growth, and uh, at the same time, we should be aware that. A continued jobless economic growth is going to lead to large disparities in income. You can, as an, as an economy, generate revenue, maybe ta- get tax revenue, use that tax revenue to then distribute welfare and to, to spend on welfare schemes. But the, the disparities in income and, and all that will lead to an unhappy environment. So I think it's important to drive employment elasticity alongside uh, GDP growth. And we have a few ideas and I think we need a lot more. Thank you, Arushi. Thanks for your time today. Bye. Thanks. Bye. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.